Marketing Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Shea Barker. Today I have with me Thibaut Machette, the CEO and co-founder of PlayPlay, Play, an online video maker for communication professionals and social media marketing teams. Thibaut is an expert in video content creation and marketing, and his Paris-based tech B2B startup was in the news in 2020 for raising $10 million in funding. Today he joins us to discuss this journey, challenges one faces while growing their tech companies, and tips for successful growth. However, before we start the conversation, I wanted to start by telling you guys about the services we offer at Shane Barker Consulting. You can contact us for services including SEO, online PR, influencer marketing, content marketing, and more. We can help you skyrocket your digital growth via personal consultations or even full managed services. For more information on what you can do with us, visit our website at shanebarker.com. That's S-H-A-N-E-B-A-R-K-E-R.com. And now let's kick off our conversation with Tebow. All right, you guys. Hey, we're super excited today. You guys, welcome to the Marketing Growth Podcast. We have Tebow from uh, Play Play that's here with us today. He's the CEO and co-founder. Uh, Tebow, very happy about having you on the podcast today. Hi, Shane. Nice to meet you. Yeah. Yeah. We're super excited, man. I, I was telling you this kind of off the podcast. I've been thoroughly impressed with what you, the, the software you guys have developed over at Play Play and you guys are doing a phenomenal job over there. And we'll go a little into that a little more detail later on in the podcast. Cause I always like to start off with, you know, I try to interview people that, um, that where my audience doesn't know who they are and you guys have had big successes in, in France, obviously, I'm excited about the U.S. market, being introduced to the U.S. market. Um, but I wanted to get to know you a little bit as an individual, as a co-founder, and um, wanted to ask you some questions. So uh, where did you grow up at? Yeah, thanks. Uh, so maybe you can hear that from my accents. Uh, not even maybe, but for sure you can hear that. I'm, I'm French. <laughs> um, so I grew up um, in France, uh, more specifically in the Alps mountains. So let's say a southeast um, of France, uh, basically, um, in the mountains. Wow, not, not a bad place to grow up last time I checked. I've, I've, I've been out to France two or three times, and it's just absolutely beautiful countryside. Good coffee and good people, too. So that's, that's definitely on my list to, to head back. So, <laughs> so how, big, how big was your family growing up? Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm from, a, let's say, a small family, um, just um, my, my, my parents um, and my brother, um, and such a nice, let's say, childhood, very, let's say, very normal, very calm, uh, playing uh, football like every, um, every kid in France and doing ski of, as everyone in my, in my, in my mountains, so uh, <laughs> that's it. I, I can imagine, I can imagine. What's your, is your brother older or younger? Older, four years older. older. Awesome. So was he? So he was. He was the protector of the house. He protected his younger brother. I'm assuming. Yes. Um, a lot of times, um, he, he he was uh, protecting me. Uh, sometimes I was a little bit, let's say, provocative or provocative at school, and he was the, the, the big brother helping me when I had I got some trouble. <laughs> it's it's always good to have the big brother in case you get in trouble. They're always nice to have. Um, and then what about, give us, do you have any interesting facts um, about you, where you grew up or, or your family or anything interesting that would be that a lot of people don't know about? What can I tell you? Um, I, I can tell you that um, my father is an, an entrepreneur. And so maybe um, I guess that uh, my, um, my passion for uh, entrepreneurship came come from, from him. 
it was in a totally different industry um is uh in construction so um it's not absolutely not where i ended up working but um i just uh, was very excited about seeing him being on his own and and building his company and taking his decisions um so yeah like a lot of entrepreneurs um i, I got inspired by my, my my father that's awesome yeah it's it's I always try to ask people's backgrounds because it's always interesting, you know, and, and whether they had an entrepreneur in their family. I know um, with obviously with my family, I, I'm an entrepreneur and my wife is a nurse. And so she brings the stable money in and I'm the crazy entrepreneur that's always thinking of ideas and doing stuff. So, you know, it, it's always interesting when you have that. The entrepreneur always is the ups and downs with money and revenue and things that are going on and you have the stability of somebody else. So did your, did your mom also work or no? Yeah, yeah, she she was um, um, working in the uh, let's say the tech industry, but it, it was the early days of tech. Um, so yes, they were both um, both working. Yes, awesome, awesome. Um, and then she was a full time mom too. She had two boys that were probably full time, right? <laughs> That's funny. Exactly. <laughs> so where did you uh, where do you currently live? Are you in where are you in France? So now um, we are in Paris. Um, I moved there to uh, for my first um, jobs, basically. Um, and obviously, uh, when I started Play Play, uh, I stayed in Paris. Um, we were not uh, at that time in the world of full remote and COVID. So if you want <laughs> to hire and attract the best talents um, in France, especially, uh, you most of the time you start from Paris. Uh, France is a very, let's say, centralized country. So Paris wait for maybe more than half of the economy in France. Um, so this is where this is where I live. My wife also works in the cinema industry, which is I think also uh, based in Paris. So in a way we are a bit locked uh, now in, in, in Paris, but um, we're very happy. Uh, we have the chance to move to a very small town near near uh, Paris in the house now. So um, because we have two kids, so um, we needed more space and Paris is so packed uh, that um, we couldn't stay there. So for, for six months now, we are in small um, small house near, near Paris. Awesome. And then where did you, you talked about college. Where did you go to college at? So I went to a business school um, in Lyon. So Lyon is one of the biggest cities in France. Uh, and close to uh, the my or, um, um, to Grenoble, my, my city in the Alps mountains. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, I, I did um, this business school, um, which was let's say very general, studying uh, all things to find a job after that um, mm -hmm. in marketing, finance, um, and I also had some first courses of entrepreneurship. Um, which also started to uh, convince me that uh, that was probably my way. That's awesome. And what was your major? Uh, it was mostly on marketing. Um, yeah, mostly marketing and, and, and like I told you, entrepreneurship. Yeah, that's awesome. I, you know, I, in my college, when I went, I, I went to college a long time ago. I won't tell you how long ago, but it was a long time ago. <laughs> and there was only one entrepreneurship class that they had there. Now they have a lot, but and I was already an entrepreneur. So when I took that class, it was, 
hearing the students and what they wanted to do was always interesting and entertaining to me because they their ideas of what an entrepreneur was really is and what an entrepreneur really is, like what it takes work-wise. I think people think, you know, historically I thought being an entrepreneur is the easy way and you just make big bucks and it's easy and like, well, no, it's actually pretty hard. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot yeah. of things that go into it. There's a lot of hard work and luck that have to come together to make a successful startup. Um, so tell but, us- but you know, no, no, just, just say that to me, what is missing the most in business school today is, um, is actually business courses and, and, and especially the, the job of sales um, because uh, in, in, in French, we say école de commerce or really business school, but, you, but, but years after years, um, some courses about making business have just disappeared. Um, and it's funny because um, uh, I have this discussion several times with entrepreneurs and salespeople. We no more learn how to sell things in business schools. And what I see now running a tech company is that sales is still at the very heart of everything we do. Salespeople are some of the most valuable people in the company. And so selling things is such a science and it's such difficult mm. that you don't learn anymore. And so now we see in France, new types of schools that are around sales and that trying to put uh, the emphasis on selling things because the classic business school that we have today are focusing more on finance, on marketing, on, on, on these very valuable things, but no more on how to sell things. You see what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, 100%. I, I think, you know, the sales is, is, you know, the psychology of it and the, everything that goes into it. That's not just a, you know, a one hour class of like, hey, this is how you do sales. I mean, there's so much that goes into that to be able to do sales correctly. Right. I mean, that's the thing is to be a salesperson. Usually what it takes is people are knocking on doors or being told no a thousand times and that's how they learn. Right. And you have to learn through that whole process. And I think if there's, I think that's awesome. I don't know of any like necessarily like sales colleges or colleges that have tons of sales courses. I know when I was at UCLA, um, they brought me in because I was a practitioner. What I mean is I was somebody that was in the field doing stuff. And, you know, a lot of the instructors, I think a lot of the instructors, you know, that have been tenured have been there for a long time. The issue is, is they're kind of out of touch with maybe sales, right? Because things have changed over the last 10 years, 15, 20 years. Um, and so I agree. Sales is one of those things that I think that if they did more training or more, there was more education there, because you can obviously go to like Udemy and there's other platforms where you can educate yourself. But in the college atmosphere, I think that would be, it's an important part of this, right? I mean, yeah. you're selling yourself in anything in life when it comes to whether it be sales on your business or sales on trying to get your wife to marry your girlfriend to marry you or what, you know, like whatever that is, it's to have that and be able to, to tighten that up as a skill is extremely important. Um, yeah. I love that. So what was your, what was your first job out of college? Yeah. So after college, um, I worked in the uh, media industry for, um, for a few years, for um, six, seven years, um, started at uh, Canal Plus, which is the major paid TV um, broadcaster in France. And then quickly um, went to Eurosport, which is um, mm. the biggest sports TV channel in Europe, uh, is now part of um, Discovery Communications, so an American company. Mm. 
Um, and it was a lot of fun because I was passionate about sports and I was passionate about digital stuff. And there at your spot, I was in the middle of, of both working on the um, um, social media, working on editorial uh, stuff and, and product stuff. Um, at that time, Eurosport was a, a great TV channel, but was working on being a great digital asset too. Uh, they had Eurosport.com, they had Eurosport Player, and they were really booming on, on digital things. And I, would, I was this junior guy in the middle of everything working, working on it. Um, and I, I really learned a lot um, during six years. Yeah, I bet. So I want to I want to talk about that because obviously which the uh, Eurosports and the foundation that you all the things that you learned being you know somebody in the middle of everything and probably a pretty growth pretty crazy growth stage of hey putting things online from the digital aspect probably got you to to you learned a lot in that process right to be able to understand how to grow your current tech company which is Play Play I want to talk a little bit about that because it's not easy to grow any company, um, especially a tech company. You know, I know this firsthand and I know you know this firsthand. Um, it's not easy, right? There's a lot of things, especially in the last year when it comes to COVID and financing and remote working. And, you know, there's all kinds of crazy things that happen that make it a little more difficult. Um, but I want to talk just about how you grew your company, right? I think that's important because you have, you have what, 60 employees at this point or how many employees do you have? Uh, now we are close to 100 now. You have 100 employees. Okay, so you're definitely the guy to talk to about growth because you've, that's, I, the biggest company I've ever owned, I had 130 employees and it was crazy. I will tell <laughs> you. And so it was crazy. I, I did it in under two years and it was a lot of moving Whoa. pieces. I, I understand what it takes to do that and it is not easy. So congratulations on that. Um, so at what point did you realize that you wanted to start your own tech company? Let's kind of start from the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> So I think I never wanted to, to do a tech company in a way. I just wanted to, to be an entrepreneur. Um, I, I, I've, I've launched a first company when back uh, during my college. It was a small one, a small project. And I was a student, so it was very early. But I really loved running my thing and, and, and trying to do both the strategy and the operational side. And just it was so exciting. Then I, I've done these six years in a more, let's say, corporate company, but where I, my role could be very versatile and I was, we were very hands-on, hands so um, I, I was enjoying a lot. But at the same time, I was thinking about going back to entrepreneurship and I was like 26, 27, 28, and I was not feeling old, but was feeling about, will I start again my company? Because that was my, my goal in, in life to be entrepreneur. Um, and it was not about launching a big tech company. It was more about running my own project um, and, that, that and, and trying to, to, to you know, have a salary um, and, 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 and run, run it by my, my own. Um, and so, yeah, when I, went, when I was um, 30, um, I found the timing was good because um, I it was the end of a cycle at your spot. At the same time, I started to have what I thought was good idea. Um, and so I took the opportunity and, and started it. But at the very beginning, and I can, I can then 
tell more details if you want, but at the very beginning, the idea was not to, to, to be a, a startup or not to scale up. It was to be a, um, a project, a project. And my idea was to hire or with my, my, my founders work with the best people I know and the one I, I admire the most and make enough money to be happy together. So I was thinking about being a, a group of five, 10 people. Um, I, I didn't know if that would be an agency or a tech company or a product, just working together, having fun, being creative, being passionate in an industry that we love, which is content and digital. And that was my goal. And then um, it went faster than we expected. And we just realized that our project could become big. And then my decision was to say, um, what could be my ambition now? Because there is some potential and you have to choose if you want to keep your um, ambition small or if you want to take the opportunity and try and make something big. And with my co-founders, we've decided to, to take the second option, try to make something big. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I love that it's your goal was just to get some good people together and brainstorm and work on some things. And then you're like, wait a second. It sounds like we have this thing called play play that could be a huge opportunity. And you're like, okay, do we keep this small and, you know, and, 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 and you know, intimate or do we grow this thing? So you guys made the decision to go big with it. So that's awesome. How did you guys come up with the idea of play play? I mean, other than friends getting together, what was that aha moment? Yeah, it's, it's, it's um, very um, classic, but it's most of the time the best reason to start a company is that you feel a pain, pain. You, know, you know the story. And so as um, um, director of social media at Eurosport um, at the end of my, my time there, I was working with um, several community managers, editors, journalists, and we, were, we, have, we had like millions of um, fans followers on every social platforms. And we could see that these people were starving for, for video. Mm. Uh, we could see that video was literally booming. We know that media companies, publishers, they are usually um, early adopters for content trends. And so we see video booming now, but video was booming in, in the publishers industry five, six years ago. Yeah. So we could see that people wanted to have more videos but at the same time, we could see that we were not able to provide this video. And if we wanted to do, um, let's say, the top five goals of, of tonight's game, um, our fans wanted to have it in a minute after the end of the game. Yeah. But the video team could do it in 24 hours or ask for a two days de delay, you see? So there was a pain. There was a big friction in the video creation process. And when we ask to your editors, can you do the video faster? They say, yeah, if I work hard for four hours, I can maybe do a, have a first draft. Um, and you say, yes, uh, can you do it in 20 minutes? It's impossible. <laughs> so that was the original idea. The original idea was to help editors or journalists um, to create videos in an easier way to feed their fans um, mostly on, on Facebook at that time and and uh, on Twitter, which were the biggest platforms. Um, and that was the idea because this 
product didn't uh, exist at that, at that, at that time. Well, and I, and I, once again, because I know the company well, I, I know your big thing was about making things extremely simplistic. Like you want to be able to, right? You want a quick turnaround on videos because for you, you're going, hey, I can't wait 24 hours to find out how many people got scored on tonight. The fans can't wait 24 or 48 hours. And so you looked at that and said, all right, what can we do to make it so that you can, people can do these videos, have no, you know, they have not have to be editors, not have to have any technical experience, but be able to get those, those videos up and be able to add, especially these days, you're, you were mainly doing that for publishers and stuff, which is a, a pretty good size market. Now you're offering it to the whole world. Hey, you want to create a video for yourself and you have a great video of your child or something that's happening or in your business, you can do that. And now you can add some kind of, uh, you know, text to it. Yeah. So this is usually how, how ambition grows is it is because we quickly realized that the small market that we had in mind, which was publishers was actually much bigger. Mm. And we start to have inbound leads, like people contacting us from, from first publishers and then other industries. Yeah. And when you receive an email from the biggest bank in France asking for a demo, and when you show their, the product and they say, this is exactly what we need, you realize that video is no more for the early adopters, which are media companies and publishers, but for any, any company. Mainstream. And at Play Play was to hear that and to say, okay, now we need we, our market has just been multiplied by ten. Um, let's address this market. And so, what do you think? What was your biggest challenge with building Play Play? I mean, obviously, it sounds like you started getting some great leads and big companies that are coming through the door. What was your biggest challenge? So the biggest challenge is most of the time in the early days uh, when you don't have, so I am not a tech uh, guy myself and none of my co-founders were tech people. So mm -hmm. when you want to do a product, which is based on tech and you are not a tech person, this is very, very difficult. Um, and I wanted to go fast. So I, I didn't want to spend months to find the good founder and assess people and I couldn't um, hire someone at the time. So um, with my savings, I, I, I paid, I financed the very first MVP. Um, and this, with this MVP, I managed to find my first clients, which were very kind to pay for this very first product. And you know, this is the moment where everything is very stretched because when you have one client and you ask, are you okay to pay for the first year um, upfront? You get some money, let's say you 10, 10K, uh, 10,000 uh, euros or dollars. And then you put it, uh, you give it to your um, agency because I worked with uh, a tech agency and you build and you have to choose one feature because with 10K, you can do one feature. And so at that period, what is very interesting for me is that you could only buy, uh, build one feature after the other. So you have to take the best decisions because if you take two or three wrong decisions in your features roadmap. You're uh, done. So it was about selling our product very quickly. I think that was the biggest success for PlayPlay Play, is that each time we had some feature, each time we had a product, we were selling it. We were not building something that maybe will interest someone someday. It was like 
putting this in the hands of people and say, can you pay please for this? And they say, yes, we pay. <laughs> and then um, building uh, the product um, with this money. So that was the way we, we've, we've done it. You guys bootstrapped it. That's awesome. You said, hey, we made 10 grand. We got 10 grand to spend on the next feature, right? And so that makes it so you're very lean, right? So you're not building 10 features and going, oh, let's figure out the three that people like and getting rid of the other seven because you didn't have that budget, right? So that's that's awesome. I love that. I love it when you're a scrappy, you call it a scrappy startup, right? That's like saying, hey, all right, we don't have a lot of money. Let's figure out how, what we're going to do to be able to grow this. So what tips do you have for our audience that want to, that they want to grow a successful tech company? Like, what do you, you know, cause you said you're, you're not, you don't have like a technical background, right. When it comes to like developing videos or, or being an, an engineer or anything like that. So what tips do you have to, to, for our audience to help to grow a successful tech company? Yeah. So I think the most important thing is to really choose a project that you are passionate about. Um, that may seem cheesy, but it's so true because if you are interested in the in the problem that you are solving, you will be you'll be relevant. You'll be on the spot. So when you'll take decisions, they will have a good chance to be right because you are an expert, let's say, of this industry. You you really understand what you are uh, working on. I, 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 I've done play play and I've worked on the product for um, the first two or three years. Now we have a product team because I was really passionate about video, about contents. So I could feel the pain of the users because I was a user myself. So this is the mm -hmm. most important part. Um, and then I, I would say that um, the most important part in then the second most important thing is um, to, to work with great people. Um, this is very obvious, but if I look at the team I have now, or and especially if I look at the first 10 people, the first 20 people I have, if there had been different 20 people, we would not be there. Um, the first people you hire on the product is so important. Mm. Uh, the first people you hire on um, the, the people team is so important because people team will hire more people, <laughs> so <laughs> it's crucial, uh, obviously. Um, the sales people are so important. We say in France that we have great engineers, but we don't know how to sell this uh, great <laughs> In I think at PlayPlay, Play, we, we had these both you know, strong legs, building good things, but selling uh, at the same time. So it's, and it's all about people, all about people. And maybe the third thing, which is linked to the first one, but it's like, listen to your users. Um, I think that was something we've done great in the first years. And we, we now we do that, but it's more scientific now the way we listen to our users. But in the first two years, it was really sitting with my clients and, and just talking and say, what do you think? What would you like? Would you pay more for, it was about paying, but would you pay more for this? <laughs> And then you, you, in the end, you choose what you want to do. You don't have always to listen and say, he wants this, let's code this. He wants this feature, let's do it. No, it's not about that. It's just about being sure that what you decide to build is relevant in general, in average, let's say, for your users. And you optimize everything you build for your users. Does that make sense? 
100%. I, I think what you started with was people that you wanted to work with, your friends. You said, hey, let's start a company. Not sure what that means. Let's do that. And then you guys were hypersensitive in listening to your customers because you only had 10 grand to, to develop another feature, right? You can't mess up. You mess up three times. Guess what? You're going back to, you know, you're going back to your savings or your, your wife leaves you or something because now you have no money, right? You got to be real careful. So you, you have to be, once again, frugal in the way that you spend your money. I think I, that's a common theme with a lot of entrepreneurs that I talk to when they develop something is that beginning stages is really listening to their customers, right? You don't have to develop or design every feature, but you need to say, hey, if you have 10 paying clients and nine of them say, hey, we need this, then you probably should create that because that's how you're going to be able to, you know, to have them be able to pay more or, you know, that's what the next client is going to need as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that being in this way, like, um, cash efficient is a way to make sure that your decisions are taken wisely. Mm. And today it is so easy to raise capital and to find money before you start selling that when you ended up having like $1 million, let's say, before launching your product, then you may end up building something that you think is very valuable and you have time and you have resources. But then when you ship it and you try to sell it, that doesn't work and it's too late. If you start with a small amount of money and a small product, you are sure that the first million you will invest in your product is really on the spot. I love that. And I think that, and I, by the way, I will tell you, congratulations. I know you guys got $10 million in funding. And I think that's, once again, I think it came at the right time in the sense that in the beginning, if you have too much money, then you're creating too many features and you're not paying enough attention to your customers a lot of the time because you just have money to burn and you have a burn rate and you have you got to build this and build that. And you start to you start to not hear some of the other things that could happen that if you're saying, hey, we're all agreeing, we're going to spend 10,000 on this next feature and everybody's looking at it and everybody feels like it's a, a good decision. There we go. But if you have money to spend, then it becomes a little more free and then the good, you know, potentially good things can happen, but a lot of the times people lose focus of what really they should be focusing on. Thanks, Tebow. It's been awesome having you for this episode. And I'm sure anyone previously wondering how to make a tech startup successful now has the right information. For our listeners, thanks for being a part of the conversation. But don't go too far. On my next episode, Tebow joins us for a discussion on the autonomy of a perfect video. So stay tuned to the Marketing Growth Podcast. Thank you.